concluded almost an entire week of general election events in what will go down in history as one of the most contentious, divisive, and suspenseful elections in modern time. The news networks declared the Democratic ticket of centrist candidate Joe Biden and Kamala Harris after the swing state of Pennsylvania completed their electoral ballot count, awarding Joe Biden the state's 20 electoral college votes. To everything there is a season, a time to build, a time to reap and a time to sow, and a time to heal. This is the time to heal in America. Now this campaign is over, what is the will of the people? What is our mandate? I believe it's this. Americans have called upon us to marshal the forces of decency, the forces of fairness, to marshal the forces of science, and the forces of hope in the great battles of our time. The battle to control the virus, the battle to build prosperity, the battle to secure your family's health care. California Senator Kamala Harris and the daughter of Jamaican and Indian parents from India would become the country's first female vice president. Wrote, democracy is not a state, it is an act. And what he meant was that America's democracy is not guaranteed. It is only as strong as our willingness to fight for it. Incumbent President Donald Trump is so far refusing to concede, as he is alleging massive voter fraud in some key battleground states. I said, what happened to the election? It's off. And we have all these announcers saying, what happened? And then they said, oh, because you know what happened? They knew they couldn't win. So they said, let's go to court. And did I predict this, Newt? Did I say this? I've been saying this from the day I heard they were going to send out tens of millions of ballots. I said exactly. Over in St. Vincent and the Grenadines, the ruling United Labour Party of Dr. Ralph Gonzalez won a fifth consecutive term by capturing nine seats in the country's House of Assembly. The opposition New Democratic Party, however, won the popular vote by capturing 32,000 847 votes, whereas the Ralph Gonzales United Labour Party captured 32,353 votes. This morning on the Burb Report, we do a post-mortem of the 2020 Vincentian and American elections with Jomo Sanger Thomas, former Speaker of the House of Representatives in St. Vincent, Michael Roberts, political strategist, Dr. Angelica Bean, sociologist, and cultural ambassador from Jamaica, Sister P. But first, the Burb Report pays a tribute to the founder of the Grenada Association of Retired Persons, Carol Vasquez, who passed away in Grenada last week. We are joined by her daughter, Tosh Mitch. Our seniors are suffering silently. Um, they never well, people, seniors are not the people to go and protest and call everybody and say, my son is not treating me well. My daughter have neglected me. They don't say anything. They silently take 
whatever is given to them. It's Sunday, November 8th, 2020, and we welcome you to another edition of The Bub Report. A pleasant good morning to our viewers and listeners of The Bub Report. Welcome to this Sunday edition. It is a post-election edition, and what we want to do today is to have a post-mortem of the 2020 American and Vincentian elections. Uh, let me first of all apologize for the late start. Uh, sometimes technology can fail us, and this morning technology was not being at its very best. Certainly, we want to begin this morning by paying tribute to uh, the late Carol Vasquez. She was the founder of the Grenada Association of Retired Persons, an advocacy group, if you will, in Grenada that uh, did uh, continues to do uh, uh, yeoman's work uh, for uh, seniors and the retiring community. I'm joined by Tash Mitch, who is the daughter of uh, the late Carol Vasquez. Tash, thank you and welcome to the Burb Report. First of all, let me extend my deepest condolences to you and your family. Thank you very much. It's, um, it's very well appreciated. Yes. Uh, reflecting on, on, on your mom's legacy, when your mom decided to uh, return to Grenada from the United Kingdom, can you give us a, a sense of what was her reasoning behind wanting to start an organization such as GARP? Well, um, my mom lived in, in Grenada for many, many years. And so Grenada was, was very, she was a Trinidadian by birth. Um, but she lived in Grenada for many years. Um, and this last stretch, she was in Grenada for around about um, 20, 20 years in, in one stretch. So mm -hmm. it wasn't that she had recently came back from the, from the UK, but um, basically she started her, her work as a, as a nurse in England. And so mm -hmm. she had developed a lot of skills around caring for people. And that was literally the foundation of her nature was to be incredibly caring. Um, and then from there went into human resources. Um, but her mother who was in Trinidad was starting to get a lot older. And so my mom ended up you know, having her move to Grenada and she cared for her in her final years. My grandmother, um, was in Grenada. Well, basically, she passed when she was a hundred years old. So, my mother cared for her during her latter years, and it became very evident to her that dignity and aging was something that should go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. That basically, there's a lot of um, older people who have given to society, who have given to communities, who have given to their children, and they deserve to be recognized for the contribution that they've given and also to be applauded and honored for that contribution. So it really stemmed from her work with her own mother and also um, as an HR manager for, or HR director for the uh, medical school here in Grenada. Um, she was seeing a lot of people who were retiring and moving on to the next phase of their lives. And for some of those people, the stories were not one of honoring, you know, they, they were one, you know, stories of, of being dishonored or stories of being forgotten or stories of struggling or stories of, you know, so she, she wanted to change that picture basically and make a difference mm -hmm. to that picture. Now, your mom has some very diverse experiences, uh, a Caribbean immigrant, uh, you know, traveling to the UK. Uh, we know the fabled tales uh, sometimes not so fabled, sometimes uh, experiences with racism. And, and one of the things that 
uh, you recalled uh, was a story, uh, an anecdote of your time. Incidentally, you had spent some time in Saudi Arabia as well, I believe. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you, you recall there was an anecdote with your mom uh, in which she, she reflected on, on how some of the, 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 the folks in Saudi Arabia were treating her, some of the patients, the names that she, were, uh, you know, she was being called. But it's, it's a general experience for Caribbean immigrants, right, uh, in, 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 in whatever uh, profession. Very much so, and and you know that I I had the the great honor of doing um, a interview together with a group of people and my mother around ce celebrating color. So around changing the story around and the narrative um, around how us as black people really view ourselves mm -hmm. and how we stand in our society and how we stand in the world globally. Um, and you know, for her it was very much about really seeing that there are different types of people in the world with different attitudes and different ways of perceiving. Mm -hmm. And it was really about how we stood, what, how we saw ourselves, you know? Um, and that was really evident. So all of the experiences that she had, some of them were really, really good. Some of them were not so good. Um, the, the commonality around all of those experiences was really to stand empowered in who she was. Mm -hmm. No. And uh, in her time, when, when she decided to move back to Grenada, what was her thought process around moving back to Grenada after retirement? Um, well, basically, she she um, she retired in Grenada, so so she she was at the medical school. She she right. was her director for um, the St George's Medical School here in Grenada. Mm -hmm. And then basically, um, when it came for retirement, she retired here in Grenada. And then we're starting to sort of feel around as to what retirement was going to bring for her here in Grenada. And so basically, um, because her mother also, you know, the experience with um, her mother having passed at 100 and her looking after her mother, and also her experiences, you know, in nursing and her experience in caring for people, it all culminated into that sort of sense of, well, how can I give back to the community? Mm -hmm. The best way to give back is to really serve the elders of the mm -hmm. community. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, any final thoughts uh, as, as you, uh, obviously I believe you said you just came from the UK uh, yeah. you know, to, to say goodbye to your mom. Any, any, any thoughts? Uh, this has to be a difficult time for you and your family. Any final closing thoughts, words to the Grenadian community? Well, one of the things that I would say is, is um, my my mom passing has to. It, it was one of my greatest fears. You know, she was she was my dearest dearest friend. She was a sister to me. Um, she was a lot of things. We were very 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 close. Mm -hmm. um, and because it was my fear, I always had this idea around it that I wouldn't be able to to cope with, or or you know that, that it, it would be just a very very harrowing time. And what I'm actually coming to terms with is that this is a time of real celebration. It's a time to celebrate somebody who, who'd given so much to people, um, who really loved community and really loved people. And it's, it's very different to how I thought I would feel. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think in, in the days and the weeks going forward, it's just really a, a celebration of, of my mom, Carol Vasquez, and the life that she lived, basically. Mm -hmm. Tash, thank you so much again on behalf of the, the production team at The Bub Report.
we want to extend our deepest condolences to you and your family. Thank you. Wearing Donald Trump t-shirts and waving American flags, hundreds of men and women march through the streets. But this is not the United States where voters on Tuesday were deciding whether to give the U.S. president a second term. <laughs> this is Nigeria. Even though Trump once called African countries shitholes and recently expanded visa restrictions on Nigerian citizens, here he has the support of millions like Lagos driver Michael Oyonoro. If we have a person like Trump, 10 of him, and those people that have the good leadership qualities like Trump in Nigeria, Nigeria will be a better place to stay. A Pew Research Center poll in January found that 58% of Nigerians had confidence in Trump, behind only Israel, the Philippines, and Kenya. The reasons are varied. Some cite Trump's radical approach to leadership, saying it appeals to Nigerians who are used to hustling in a tough economy to survive. For others, like the Living Christ Mission that organized the rally in the eastern city of Onisha, it's a matter of faith, saying Trump supports Christians all over the world. I want to welcome uh, our panelists for this morning, Dr. Angelica Bean, a sociologist, Michael Roberts, who is a political strategist, and uh, Jomo Thomas, who is a former speaker of the House of Assembly in St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And what we're doing today is that we're doing a postmortem of the 2020 US elections. And uh, I want to begin with you, Dr. Bean. Now, the president, of outgoing President Donald Trump, I think he has, he's really captured a significant percentage of, of African-American votes and a significant percentage of minority votes in this election cycle. Now, what does it say about the notion of diversity and inclusion? There was always the impression that diversity and inclusion belong to the Democratic Party. But what Mr. Trump has done is, is essentially challenge that theory. Yeah, I think I think that it's important. Thank you again for letting me um, be on the show. Um, and my condolences to Tasha as well. Um, but in terms of the election and Donald Trump being able to capture this party, I think it's important, number one, to really understand that the, uh, I don't want to say African-American population, just the Black population as a whole, or people of color as a whole, are not a monolithic group. And we never have been a monolithic group. Although we may vote Democratic, we, are, we break with the Democratic Party on a lot of things. Um, specifically like moral issues. There are a lot of people that are more African-centered than they are, um, than they are just, um, there are more people that are more African-centered in African, within a black population than they are just, that lean the other way in terms of leftist views, even though we vote one way. We vote that way because of our policies and how we view social justice, but not necessarily how we, what we believe um, 
within our our community. So what I, what I mean by that is that black people are highly religious people, which means that they tend to have conservative views, you know, and a lot of black people actually see um, a lot of black people and people of color actually see leftists as immoral in a lot of ways. And so those those are one of the those are some of the aspects of the things that we have to deal with when we look at what happened within the polls. So even though Trump is talking um, have race racist rhetoric and he's a sexist and a you know homophobic and all of these other things black people already knew that white people was like that on a democratic party with the democratic party as well as with the republican party that's not something new if you're born in america or if you came over on slave ships we know that we know that 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 exists so the thing is what are you going to give me outside of your racism so they don't care about his rhetoric they care about what he's going to do which has been the argument that you see specifically within the black community and more with black males so um to answer your question, partially answer your question, one of the things is we're not a, we're not a monolithic group, and that we have to deal with how we see the world um, internally within our within ourselves and how we show up at the polls because of that. So they don't really care that Trump is racist. They say it's about what he's doing and not not about what he's saying. And they kind of bought into the lies that he said, you know, on on a trail. His whole four years, they bought into him. And so we can we can most definitely unpack some of the things that they bought into mm-hmm. um, in comparison to Joe Biden, who who uh, just assumed that because we was black, that he would automatically have our vote by making a comment um, when he said, uh, if you black, you better vote for me. No, right. I'm, right. I'm not going to vote for you. Um, and you you uh, instated the federal crimes bill law like there's there's this assumption that black people are going to blindly follow the Democratic Party. But that is not true. We are not blindly following. We're in a lot of ways, I kind of hate to say this, but voting the lesser of the two evils. You know, which one are we going to do? Are we going to stand with this party because you can do things for us? You don't automatically have us. We don't even believe in what you believe in. However, in terms of social justice and us being able to progress, we can do that through what, what people have assumed to be the Democratic Party. But when John Donald Trump came as a businessman and they found out later that he was broke and he didn't have any money and he's done a lot of debt, but they came as a businessman, uneducated and able to achieve, then black people tend to, they, I think black men, this is my opinion, you know, identify more with this level of success, you know, and not having to do all of the hard work that it takes mm-hmm. in order to get there. But I want to say this as well. It's 20 percent of the black males actually um, voted for Trump in terms of who voted. But there was 26 percent had a high school diploma, 22 percent had a bachelor's degree and 20 percent had an advanced degree. So to think that it was only about you being uneducated is not true. You know, and it, and I have a list of things by Dr. Boyce Watkins why he said that they didn't identify with the Democratic Party. They don't believe in the LGBTQ community. They think that immigrants um uh, migration is a problem for the black community. They mm-hmm. think that, you know, rappers and people like Cardi B who talk about WAP and selling P, you know, all of these different things is problematic for young girls in the black community. Mm-hmm. It is a litany of things where the black community do not stand with with the Democratic Party. They don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Roberts, you predicted a, a Biden win, but you, you are a Democratic, shall we say, political strategist. You worked for uh, democratic political strategist. Um, there was a prediction that this election was going to be a landslide. This election was not a landslide. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, the, 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 the president-elect won this election 
with a squeaker, a squeaker of a vote, notwithstanding that he did win the popular vote. But what does it say about the Democratic Party that, that this election was so close and it, it did not fit within the predictions that the pollsters and the pundits were making? Let me unmute your mic, Mr. Roberts. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, yeah. Thank you for having me on the show. And um, there are a couple of things that, that um, went wrong in this cycle. And there are many things that went better than expected. Um, Joe Biden is on the track to, to win the largest voter turnout in, you know, in modern history. Eclipsing Barack Obama's 69 million votes, he's now on, on track to do 81 thousand plus vote, 81 million uh, votes mm -hmm. um that's a kind of a less like a 4.3 percent spread but let me back into what really happened and what we predicted along the way the democratic party um is lucky let's just say that straight up um a lot of the strategists were speaking about uh for months, they didn't do. They were late to the table. That's one of the reasons why a lot of pollsters predicted uh, that we would win Florida, and it didn't happen. Because since Donald Trump got elected, he he and the GOP were putting in a lot of work in Florida, especially the Hispanic Spanish-speaking community um, across the board. So that work started from 2016 and you saw the results there. By contrast, Democrats, uh, when, when post-2016, spent about two years soul-searching and hand-wringing about what went wrong. Was it Russia or not Russia? Did G James Comey cause them to win, to lose? And a whole range of other problems. Um, not wanting to address the internal uh, problems within the Democratic Party that still exists up to the day. The issue of the Bernie Sanders wing, um, the more progressive wing, um, and what that is going to look like. This morning, I saw James Claiborne um, on CNN talking that, saying that, well, we we had a conference called yesterday, Democrats, and that nobody must use the word socialism or socialist ever going forward. And it tells you that in inside of the Democratic Party, there are still problems. Uh, it, it, and those problems were not addressed going into the 2020 cycle. So Donald Trump was a horrible candidate. In my view, the results of this cycle is not so much a win for Joe Biden, but a vote against Donald Trump, Agreed. anybody but John, Donald Trump. Because I'm looking at the numbers and the turnout and so forth. While, while, while the, the, the turnout suggested and does suggest a repudiation of Donald Trump, it, it does not really give Joe Biden the kind of mandate that he wants and so forth. He has a lot of work to do, especially in, uh, as Dr. Bean says, within the black community that is not monolithic. Now, he's going to pick up the vast majority uh, in the 90 percentile, I would, I would, I would guess, uh, of the of the Caribbean American votes in places like Brooklyn, um, Atlanta, etc. He's going to pick that up because they have voted down the line. They voted Democrats. But if you look at the results beyond uh, Biden's win, 
the Democratic Party lost seats in the down ballot. And that suggests that the overall strategy for winning 2020, they did not do a good job of it at all. Uh, uh, Terry Christopher is making a very good point. Uh, and, and this is to say that the, the electoral, uh, the votes have not uh, yet been counted. Uh, so uh, that is something that we also have to acknowledge um, to see how close it's actually going to be uh, following uh, the, the, the ultimate count. But I want to turn to uh, St. Vincent and the Grenadines where we have, uh, we've had a, a close election in terms of the, the actual vote total but not a close election in terms of the seats that were acquired by the incumbent uh, United Labour Party, Jomo. Uh, Ralph Gonzalez, I think th this election in St. Vincent, th th there's so many tea leaves that you can read there. One of them is that he won the, 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 the total amount of seats first past the post, but he did not win the popular vote. He did, however, win his fifth term, making him uh, as he calls himself, the five-star general. Yeah, uh, he actually calls himself. <laughs> he calls himself a world boss. Okay, all right. Um, that that kind of language sounds a bit uh, interesting. Uh, but uh, Jomo, what? How? How close was this election really in Saint Vincent and the Grenadines? Very close. Mm -hmm. I write a column and. Earlier in July, he was saying that this election was, these elections were going to be too close to call. Yeah. Analysis of all of the seats. I think we talked about that the last time I was on your program. And I made the point that in many of the constituencies, it's going to get down to how good the party machinery was in getting the vote out on election day. Mm -hmm. If you look at the elections closely, you would realize that, yes, Prime Minister Gonzalez has now lifted himself into history with the first Caribbean leader to win five consecutive terms. But he did it at tremendous damage to his party because the persons who are supposed to come next in line, his son, for example, whom he literally parachuted into one of the safest seats in the country, is another young man making up support to Caesar, who both of them won. His son last time got the most votes in the elections. The other leaders of potentially the support of Caesar um, he got more than 600 votes in victory. This mm -hmm. time, Camilo ended up with less than 200 votes margin of victory and support of just about 300 votes margin of victory. He is now world champion, five in, a, five in a row, but it did not do the kind of work, the kind of arrogance that came into the way in which they operated because they were convinced that they could do literally anything. And all of the seats in the old, in the last two or three parliaments, the ULP had an impregnable lead in about six or seven seats on the eastern part of the country. Now they don't longer have that. They, they won by 61 votes, by 321 votes, by 189 votes. Very, very narrow. So the entire country, except for the two leaders, Pierre Gonzalez, who may leave, and the opposition leader back on Friday, who would um who won by almost two thousand votes, except for, for those seats, all of the other areas are very marginal. In addition to that, it is sure that if that the Unity Labour Party won um in one seat, but that 
parliamentarian who won, he won by a single vote. So in fact, in the last elections of 2015, the parliamentarian who won this time by one vote lost by 12 votes. So after five years, he's now, he went from minus 12 to plus one. Mm -hmm. So clearly going forward, he's not, it, it must be that this is a very unpopular um, person who have been so little over five years and they will be knocked off in the next term. There's something else to be said because I made a post this morning in which I said that this, these elections were about representation and likability. It is clear that the people show up a lot of disapproval from the governing party, the unit Labour Party, and re reduce their popular majority. So they are now minority in terms of popular vote, even though mm -hmm. they gain the seat. What the elections also showed in my mind is that the likability factor, even though the people were disgusted with the ULP, they did not feel sufficiently strong to vote out, the, to vote in the opposition. That mm -hmm. was my view. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, turning back, and, and, and you know, we are going to be weaving through uh, both St. Vincent and the Caribbean and back to the United States. Again, the, the U.S. election also has implications for uh, American-Caribbean relations, especially within the context of, of Caribbean geopolitics now, where we have uh, a rising China in the region, uh, shall we say, in America's backyard. I, I, it would be interesting to see what uh, the late great Morris Bishop would have to say about China being in America's backyard. But I'm going to turn to uh, Angelica again, Dr. Bean. You were from Texas, and and it, it the Democratic Party did make a serious play in, in, in the southern states, one of which was Texas, one of which was uh, Georgia. And in Georgia and in, in, in Texas, we find that it, it, it was urban cities, urban cities in, in those states whether it was Atlanta, Houston, uh, that really, really uh, made the Democratic Party competitive. I know you are from the Lone Star State, correct? Yes. <laughs> are you from Houston? I'm from beautiful Beaumont. I'm 45 minutes away. From Beaumont away, 45 <laughs> minutes away. Now, so what, what do you think, what, what do you think, um, uh, would you say would be the factors for, that kind of competitive streak that the Democratic Party had in the South? So I I'm going to go back to the original argument that I had is that we choose what we're going to do. You know, like we're going we're gonna, to, people think that um, if you're in the South, you know, like you're, there's a slow South and like, oh, they're all super conservative and that's why they can't think in their vote along these Republican parties. You know, no, like, first of all, majority of our education come out of the South. All of the HBCUs come out of the South. Prairie View was one of the, Prairie View A&M University was one of the school to produce the majority of our teachers. So you see black education, you see it in the South, you know? So I say that to say that we're way more advanced than you think we are, but we still are highly moral people even though we're moral people we still vote along the lines of what we need in terms of justice you know okay. so you may have seen an increase in numbers in a showing in an increase in number in us actually showing up but majority of texas is red period just like the majority of the country it, it votes republican so you know it's very hard for us to overcome the fact that they outpace us in number or whatever but at the end of the day our vote shows up black people in the south vote 
you know, mm-hmm. for sure. We're just choosing the way that we actually want to vote. And um, so in terms of us showing up and showing out and the numbers being what they are, that's not surprising to me. I'm, I'm from Beaumont, Texas. And like I told you, Prairie View produced a lot of our educators was the first part first school to actually start to produce black educators, you know? So because Prairie View produced those people in my hometown, I've had black educators. I'm not one of the people who grew up was like, all, all my teachers was white. No, majority of my teachers is black or whatever, you know, in white and black schools. So mm-hmm. I say that to say that our people are extremely, they're way more progressive than you think. But at the same time, across the country, we we are, we can just, we can compete with, uh, um, with a, a city that's more urban, with a city that's more that have more inner city, you know, we just know what our view, our conservative views are. And at the, and when you have a choice of either voting red or blue, and which ones are going to advance your cause and cause in terms of social justice, we've done that blindly with the Democratic Party. Not blindly, we knew what we were doing. We've done that for our people for years. At this point, our millennials are saying, no, we're not gonna do that. We will break, we just won't vote for you at all. Mm-hmm. So, um, you Texas, I think that Texas people is not surprised that we showed up and showed out. I think across the South, we showed up and showed out. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of expected with where I'm from, you know? So. Yeah, Mr. Roberts, uh, there are a lot of Caribbean people, including many Grenadians. There was actually a Grenadian Senator, Senator Judd Cadet, uh, who on his Twitter page endorsed Donald Trump. Uh, MAGA 2020, many Grenadians, as a matter of fact, endorsed, supported, and voted for Donald Trump. That is what true. Would you, what would you account for uh, uh, their their interest or, or, or their full-throated support of someone's policy that is inconsistent with 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 the the, the immigrant experience of, of of the Grenadian or the immigrant experience of the Caribbean person? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we, we see, we've seen that from 2016. Uh, that trend started right there. And within, the, within the, the, the Caribbean community, there is a very, very conservative segment. Mm-hmm. And that segment, um, the, the, kind of, the, the kind of fiscal conservatism, um, um, religious family matters, etc., that you see uh, the Republican Party espousing found some level of, of, of support within the Caribbean American community. But you, uh, I'm sorry, you know, but I'm, I'm going to, you know, uh, uh, follow up on that, mm-hmm. unpack that a bit. But th- th- there seems to there would be an inconsistency, or shall we say, a hypocrisy with with Donald Trump's values mm-hmm. and conservative values. True, of course, of course. Uh, I know, I'm not saying that Donald Trump represents conservative values. I don't think he is. I think he's a child uh, that he's a con man. Uh, but that said, when, when, especially in areas like, uh, like New York City, you find that the growing, the growing strength of the Caribbean community, you, 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 you look at what are the motivating factors that drive Caribbean turnout. One, uh, if you speak to most uh, immigrant people from the immigrant community, You'd hear one thing that the Democratic Party takes us for granted. That what they, you hear, what what have you done for me lately? So the Republican Party, even though uh, consist inconsistent with the interests of the Caribbean immigrant experience, people hold their nose and voted uh, for Trump. That is what you're seeing there. Uh, but the history of of of, of uh, the of the 
Caribbean American community is one that it does not, it moves from time to time, uh, different kinds of shifts, depending on what is happening, socioeconomic and political considerations in the country at the time. Right now, uh, you will see in that the Democratic uh, Party has got the majority of those, of the black vote. In 2016, they stayed home. They, that's one of the reasons why Hillary Clinton lost the election. The black vote did not show up mm -hmm. because the black vote did not, uh, members of the black community did not feel that she, uh, that she, one, she took them for granted, two, that the platform was not something that they could wrap their head around. And so they stayed home. In, 20, in 2020, you see a segment of the, of, the, of the black population coming out for the Republican Party. But that is not to say that this is a new phenomenon. This started as far, uh, even, even under the Obama years, mm -hmm. you saw a movement of black votes. Trump won about 20% of the black vote. He, and uh, he's actually done better than George W. Exactly. He's, uh, and he's, especially this cycle, he's done better this cycle with black folks than he did in 2016. Yep. Mm -hmm. Now, so that's the point. So he did better than 2016 with, with uh, but again, it goes back to the, the, the Caribbean American vote for Donald Trump. Again, his, his, his anti-immigrant rhetoric, shall we say, his policy against DACA. Uh, uh, rescinding the DACA program. Many Grenadians are DACA beneficiaries. Uh, many Grenadians were disproportionately impacted uh, by uh, unauthorized and illegal ICE raids in, in places like Brooklyn. So again, are you saying that, that th th there is some, the Democratic Party is so bad that they would vote for someone who would be instilling that kind of fear in the community? No, 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 and, and not at all. Um, what I am saying is, uh, when it comes to Donald Trump and the Caribbean community, uh, uh, let me say the Republican Party as a whole, mm -hmm. um, sometimes, sometimes the 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 the, the, the stimuli that drive certain segment of the party. For example, in the Caribbean American community, the majority of voters. The majority of the people who vote for Donald Trump are black males, mm -hmm. not females. Right. Donald Trump does not mm -hmm. get the black female vote. Right. And that's been a, a, a bone of contention um, within households uh, where you have black female wives, grand uh, aunts, etc., who, who are uh, vote down the line for Democratic um, candidates. But you have black men, particularly black men, and it goes across the spectrum, uh, college-educated black men, um, non-educated black, uh, college-educated black men who feel uh, that Donald Trump, the kind of bombast he has, the way he speaks, the, 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 the kind of language, that resonates, unfortunately, with a section of the black male community. The, that hyper-masculinity. Uh, yes, that kind of happens. And that's the problem. It's right. not because of his policies you, 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 you'll hear um, certain uh, uh, members of certain communities would say, oh, he's a general boy. This guy is a tough guy. And, 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 and it's, a, it's a problem where they identify with somebody who is not supportive of their interests and, and in fact, works against it. But his posture is bombast. Uh, and this is also true when it, when it comes to certain segments of the white vote that support Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. 
You hear them say it over and over. He's a plain speaker, like how he speaks. He speaks his mind. He's not a politician. And all those kinds of caveats that gives rise to Trumpism. Mm -hmm. And we'll be unpacking Trumpism for a long time. Dr. Bean, as a sociologist, I know uh, you'd want to comment on that and uh, about unpacking Trumpism as well. Yes. We, we, as researchers, we have a lot of work to do, Dr. Bean. <laughs> he has given us a lot of fodder. And then, Jomo, I will get to you to discuss the, 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 the impact of this election on, on, on the Caribbean region, especially under Biden administration. Dr. Bean, first. I'm sorry, I missed the question. Yeah, no, the, the question was, uh, again, about this, the, the, the hyper-masculine oh, hyper uh, appeal mm. of, of Donald Trump. Agreed. Um, for sexism, you know, um, patriarchy, uh, the, the, uh, the need for a, for a black man to have a nuclear family rather than, which was one of the reasons I said earlier that they're not pro-LGBTQ. They're neither are they pro-abortion. You know, so it's not a woman's right to choose. And so they tend to some people tend to tap out, you know, or whatever. Like I'm not anti LGBTQ, but I'm not for LGBTQ either. I want to be able to have the American dream at the end of the day. And so that small segment of uh, uh, males that fall into that spectrum, they're still seeking the American dream. And they're trying to find out where do they fall within this larger spectrum and this larger push that they feel like extreme leftist is doing, you know? So if I can't have a nuclear family, if I can't have a job, if I can't start a business, if I can't do all of these things, then I prefer to, to vote with Donald Trump. Don't mean that they, or, well, they're voting against their own interests because Donald Trump uh, put things into, into practice into practice that are, are anti them. So it, it's this extreme masculine, hyper-masculinity that the black males want that they feel like they can't achieve under the Democratic Party, which is one of the reasons I think that there is a break. And then also there's these other people that um, are contributing to this as well. So you know that they had the rappers that came out, you know, that uh, stood behind Trump, Lil Wayne, uh, Lil Pump, you know. All, but, all the, but, the, but there was a rapper who also ran for president, Kanye West. Trash. I mean... I don't, that person is saying it on your show. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was very natural to me. I don't even understand. He has 60,000 votes. So I'm looking like it's close to this election. Spoiler. Yes. Spoiler candidate. <laughs> right. Well, spoiler candidate, but he did have an appeal that yeah, so many does. people voted for him. Mm -hmm. yeah, he has the people that actually came out. And I was looking like, as close as our numbers are, you were like, <laughs> breaking it up. Like, what are you doing, Kanye? Sit down. Um, dragon energy? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, um, <laughs> we did have those rappers that came out. Um, and, you know, Ice Cube had a valid argument at the end of the day. You know, the Democratic Party. <laughs> Sorry. The Democratic Party. Um, the Democratic Party didn't listen to him. You know, Kamala and Joe said that they would listen after they was elected um, and Trump listened to them. I don't agree. I'm mean, clearly Trump have showed you that he'll listen to anybody. He's an opportunity. He's an opportunist. He's not for your people. He'll, he'll do anything and put anything out there, whether he actually go through with it or not. He don't pay bills. That's what's been consistent. That's what you see. If you don't pay bills, how can you trust him with your life? You know, so um, but you see that he put policies out there. Ice Cube put it put it to both parties. Democratic or Republican, who's going to listen and who's going to put these policies into place for us? He took the bait or whatever, you know? So at the end of the day, people are looking like, well, you know, we, we have these options of going with the Democratic Party, who's not listening to us, is falling on deaf ears, or we can go with this man who, yeah, he racist, yeah, he doing this, yeah, he doing that, but we got a chance to at least hear our policies, they, somebody can to hear our policies out. Right, wrong, or indifferent, 
at the end of the day, sometimes people just want to be heard. And that's why I feel like the Democratic Party is selling it. You need to listen to the people and stop taking people for granted because that blue water just then, it crumbled. And somebody wrote earlier that only thing this, this election was about was anti-Trump or for Trump. Mm-hmm. And that was the scene. But in the next four years, I don't know if um, Mr. Roberts said it or if Mr. Thomas said it, but in the next four years, y'all got an uphill battle because those mm-hmm. people are not going to remain the same. That decline in 2008, 95% of the men voted for um, Barack Obama. In 2012, it slid to 87%. In 2016, it slid to 82%. In 2020, it slid to 80% of people that voted for Democrats. Those numbers are going to continue to decline until you hear the people out. And you have to deal with the issues that they actually want to be addressed and quit assuming that things are just going to go because you're the Democratic Party. That's no longer happening. And I agree with Mr. Roberts when he said that these people came out and the Democrats lucked up. In four years, it will not be that way. And we have to stop preparing for that right now. So and if, and that, if, let yeah. me just say this. If you look at um, what is happening in the South, your state of Texas, for example, mm-hmm. there is a change in demographic. Yes. When, you look, when you look at Arizona, if, if um, Biden wins Arizona, it is because of the Mexican vote there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the mixed Latino, Hispanic vote in places like Florida. Um, in Florida, the Republicans party's loyal base is Cuban Americans, um, Venezuelans, mm-hmm. um, Salvadorian, who share a commonality in terms of that kind of regional outlook. Uh, if the Democratic Party, yes, if the, if the Democratic Party does fails to reach out to this constituent, they're going to lose elections. Now, we also saw in this election a large turnout of first-time voters and young voters. Mm-hmm. They are going to shape the future demographics of this country. Mm-hmm. And what and the party that reaches out to them first is going to win elections. Mm-hmm. Let's see what happens in the next four years. And if the Democratic Party does not um come to grips with his own internal problem. I started this conversation by talking about that. Mm-hmm. The, the, the different wings within the Democratic Party that exists right now. Joe Biden is going to have to see if he can govern from center left, mm-hmm. not left or right, but mm-hmm. center left to appease a number of the currents within the party. Um, the AOCs of the world, the Scrods, the, 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 the Bernie Bros. And Bernie Gals, um, he's that was that issue, even going into 2020, was never adequately and fully addressed. And it is there bubbling at the bottom, right and below the surface of the Democratic Party. I can tell you because that's what we do every day. Uh, they from, from the leadership on, there was a problem with Tom Perez as the leader of the Democratic Party. He was not the best pick, he was Obama's pick, and that and he became the leader of the party. But he does not have the kind of skills uh, as, as, a, as a party leader. You're not even hearing anything from him these days because they've sidelined him. They, that has to, to change. The, the, the elder statespersons within the party, the Hillary Clintons of the world and so forth. Mm-hmm. That entire internal party system has to change. Uh, Gem- Democrats are still, we locked out. It's a good thing. We got the White House back. We lost. Don't ballot, and that should be it. A, a, a loud bell ringing to say that the don't ballot 
retail politics at the local level that we're not doing well there and so forth. Uh, Jomo, you've been sitting there, you've been nodding. Uh, of course, we have a new president uh, who would be uh, impacting foreign policy. Uh, we have some serious policy, foreign policy challenges for the Caribbean region within the context of US-Caribbean relations. What are your tea leaves for what a Biden presidency would mean for the Caribbean region? Well, I gotta say that I agree with much of what Dr. Beagle and Mr. Roberts said. So as someone who lived in the United States for 20 more years, studied at Howard University and at Rutgers University, um, I know the United States fairly well. And I think that when we look at the elections, the Democrats... Jomo can't seem to, to hear us there. All right. Uh, yeah, there the, 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 the seems to be an issue with this. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was saying. Hey, Jomo. The Bush said to the black population, hey, <laughs> what do you have to lose? The, the, the Democrats are not doing anything for us. And that thing reflects in many ways the increase in the amount of persons who voted for the Republicans. I got to say, though, that I have always of the view that maybe black people put all of their eggs in one basket. And you may find this surprising from somebody coming from me who sits on the left of the political fence. But it may well be a good thing if more black people start voting Republicans, because both parties will now have to contend for them, rather than the Democrats simply believing that, okay, we have this, this demographic locked up. In fact, it was insulting early in the campaign when Joe Biden said, well, look, you ain't really black if you're not going to vote for me. He just presumptively thought. So that's my thing. I think the thing that Democrats are not to win the White House don't pay sufficient attention to the gubernatorial races and, and, and so on. So you have, I think the last time I checked, the Republicans had about 36 of the, of the, the governor's mansions. And that's where a lot of the electoral laws are made. And in the, in, in the local Senate, they are passing laws that suppress a lot of the votes. So later, suppression is a major, major problem in the United States. And it's kind of funny because the United States is projected as the most democratic country in the world. And people are blatantly suppressing those because they think that this is going to affect them in America. But to get to the direct question that you asked from a foreign policy standpoint, I, I don't think that there's going to be much difference between um, Biden and Trump. I think that if we can get some ease regarding the stringent immigration policies which Trump had purported to do or put in place that benefit the in some ways, um, I think people have to push to see how the relationship may change in regard to Cuba and Venezuela. Because I can tell you, in very poor countries like St. Vincent and much of the Caribbean, because of the Petro-Caribe agreement, Venezuela, for example, last year, forgave the $100 million to St. Vincent. And there is no money that is being made now 
through the federal for being simply because the United States has put out all these sanctions and oil is not flowing as before, and these countries are not getting the money which they can use for their social for their social future. So I think that um, that is going to be a problem. Um, just to segue back to the struggles that Mr. Roberts talked about, I think. Okay, stay with me here while I sort this out. Go ahead. It, it is unfortunate that James Clyburn made the statement that he made about not talking anything about socialism. Because if you notice, the squad, the, those two black women who have done so much, so much good work, they are, they are on the left of the political fence. They have been speaking to all of the things that Mr. Clyburn is saying nobody should speak to. They've been speaking about the Green New Deal, they've been speaking about the um, increase in, in, in the living wage. And those are the things that people are talking about and those are the things that people are responding to. And if you look at the results that came in all of these places, Clyburn, not Clyburn, of, of those, those young women in the squad, all of them increased their numbers. And it was having some um, technical difficulty. It was and we will be right back. It's based on their grassroots efforts. Why I think the Democrats did as well as they did in the in Minnesota and the Chicago and, and so on and so forth. So um, it's going to be an interesting um, period coming up. I, I don't have a lot of um, hope or confidence or trust in in in, in Biden. I take the lead from Dr. Colin West. Dr. Colin West said their last contest was a battle between um, uh, neo-fascist catastrophe and a neoliberal disaster. So uh, we should see how that plays out. Jumo. Hi. You remember me? The face looks familiar. And I was trying to <laughs> from the very beginning. Hold on. <laughs> You, you you must remember me. Um, used to be with Morris 24-7. All right. But with also. Used to be Morris. The Robertson name is really Robertson. Uh-uh. When you speak to Snow, you ask him and he'll tell you where I am. Very well. Uh, uh, regular contact with you. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I I know you from the revolution. You used to be there uh with um with bombs and everybody like Cabin Air and, and, and the yeah, whole crew. Remember yeah. I used to be um the reporter. This is yeah. Oh yes, that's where I know you. <laughs> I used to be one of Morris um heads of uh, of intelligence. Okay, okay. So that's where I know you. Mm -hmm. Look at that, Re a lovely reunion here on the bubble. Yeah, Park. it is, it's Jomo, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's good, that's good, good to see you. Okay, wrapping up guys, looking forward to uh, the next four years, looking forward to, of course, Angelica as, 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 as part of the distinguished Bison family. This is uh, a weekend <laughs> of pride for us. Yes. Thoughts? Oh yes, on the on the basis. Oh, we did what? We graduated from Howard. Sure, I got some feedback. Uh, so I'm actually very excited. I know we kind of had a heavy conversation yeah. about some of the um, 
nuances of dealing with the election and what came out of the election. But in yeah. terms of all the positive things, I mean, did black women come through or did black women come through? You know, from, um, they did. Right. From Keisha Lance Bottoms, mm. Stacey Abrams. Yeah. They came true. They really did. Grew on each other's shoulders, just lead mm -hmm. the force. You know, black women getting the vote out, like we've historically done. Those things are just incredible. And them, all of them women graduated from HBCU, HBCU, mm -hmm. which they've been talking Howard, mm -hmm. Howard. Oh, Spelman. yeah. Yes. Okay. Come on, fam, you. Who y'all talking to? Like, fam, you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so um, I'm just so proud of the work that, uh, that black women did to get Kamala to the place that she is as an uh, um, alum. Howard alum, like you're gonna be. So as a Howard alum, I'm I'm actually very grateful. I'm very humbled. I'm just I just feel like God allowed me to be in this very important, like critical time and to be like to have come through Howard University, where we produce the majority of the black educators here in America, mm -hmm. over 50% of PhDs um, in America come out of Howard, our medical school, our dental school, our religious schools, all of our schools that we produce. We're, we're just, it's, it's phenomenal to say that she had the opportunity and, and, and she had the possibility to do great things, you know, and I'm really proud of that. And I'm proud that I, I have the opportunity um, to come behind her. So I was a teen mom that got into Howard that finished a PhD, mm -hmm. you know, and I have the opportunity to do great things and to see Kamala there and to see her do it with such grace and dignity. It's just phenomenal. And so I'm really grateful for that. And um, I'm excited about the next four years. I do know that we have to hold them accountable, but I, hey, we saw Kamala before she was the VP. You know, she was already on her game. So we, I, I do have faith in Kamala that she'll be able to get things done and push for us to do those things. And yes, Carlene, representation is everything. And we in that thing. You see us? <laughs> We're ready. So I'm excited. So, um, yeah, I'm very excited. And congratulations to Joe Biden and congratulations to Kamala. We are going to be here with you, you know, fighting for you, uh, still voting and pushing policies. That's what we got to do. So Howard alum HU, you, you know. know. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I think, I, uh, I, Mr. Roberts. I think um, she is, uh, Dr. Bean has said it really eloquently. Um, about three months before the election in a democratic uh, strategist uh, session, I predicted off the bat that this election is going to be won on the backs of women. And at the time people were saying to me, what are you saying? And I said, no, this election is going to be won on the backs of women. And so said, so done. Congratulations to all these great black women yeah. and women in general who came out and voted their heart, their conscience and worked so hard, people like Stacey Abram, to get out the vote in the South. Not an easy thing to do in a, in, a, in a, if you know Georgia, but uh, Georgia has a green black uh, urban community and like Atlanta region and so forth. And um, I think that going forward, it's people like Dr. Bean that has to have that, that has to carry this conversation, and we have to support them in making sure that we hold the, the, the Democratic Party. I'm already calling Congresswoman Clark. We're gonna have a sit down as to what's gonna happen. Well, she uh, almost she, she was almost primary, uh, so well, you know she 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 has to be very grateful. Wait, wait, wait. That's the first one. This last one I did the last one for her. She she won the, the election by ten um, 
the, the closest uh, 30,000 votes to 10,000 votes. Mm -hmm. The one before I didn't do. This one, we collaborated, worked with her. She won, the, she won handedly and so forth. But across the board, we're looking, um, the, the, the most, the, the untold story of this election is the fact that this, this, this go around, we've had the most women elect to the Congress in a generation, Republican and Democrat. And I think that that's a good thing. Okay. Uh, Mr. Thomas, final words as we wrap up. Well, I, I think that one of the things that we, we saw in the United States is something which we see here in St. Vincent every election cycle, is the tremendous impact, and I think in the course of Caribbean as well, the role of women in carrying male politicians on their backs. And I think the audience of um, Ms. Harris, the vice president, portends greatly for what I, the future may bring in terms of women participation and women's leadership. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, that's a positive thing. Um, in other elections, you know, we've had a whole new contest here. None of that can be But it shows more moments Okay. All right, uh, Jomo, you're breaking up there, but folks, uh, just let me take this opportunity to thank you for for joining us today. Again, I do apologize for uh, the technical challenges we experienced this morning. And uh, we encourage you to continue to join the Bub Report. We are now on Twitter. We're now on Instagram. We're also on Facebook. And we're also on YouTube. Every Sunday at 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time, 11 a.m. Atlantic Standard Time. On behalf of our entire production team, Thank you for watching the Bub Report. Our panel, don't go away, stay there. And uh, I will see you guys next week, Sunday. Have a wonderful and productive week. Bye-bye.